Thank you, Emma. Nice job. Isn't it good having her back? She was on school, doing school stuff, you know, homework and all that. It's good to have you back. Let's all stand as we open tonight by the reading of Psalm 85. We have a great night. Pastor Ed is bringing the word in. Izzy Ray is our guest artist tonight. Lord, you have been favorable to your land. You have brought back the captivity of Jacob. You have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all their sin. Let's stop there and pray. Father, we thank you that you have indeed covered our sins, Lord. We thank you for your mercies that are new every day, God. When we woke this morning, we knew that we were covered by your mercies, by the price that you paid upon the cross, Lord. And during this time of year, we get to celebrate the greatest gift of all, you being given to the world, Father God, being birthed into this world, Father, to be the savior of the world. So we want to just take this night to give you glory, to give you praise, have your way with our hearts, Lord, receive our worship, Lord, and help us to be drawn near to you through the study of your word, we pray. And all the God's believers agreed by saying, amen. Why don't you guys turn around and say hello, and then we will worship. Thank you. 
establish it with his righteousness and he shall reign on david's throne and his name shall be
so grateful, Lord, that you are here, that you are present in our lives, Lord, that you literally have changed everything. Every part of us, Lord, is different because you abide in us, God. I pray for any heart here tonight who can't say that for themselves, that you are living in their hearts, Lord God. I pray that that would change tonight, Lord. I pray that your spirit would be at work in this place. We know that you are here. We know that you're receiving your glory, Father. Cover us with your peace and your love.
don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop. Joy to the world. 
A good guest tonight. Let's welcome Izzy Ray. Sorrow can teach you Life gets harder 
Thank you. I thought I'd share a little uh, Christmas tune with you today, if that's okay. This is one of my favorites, and it's an arrangement that my mom and I used to sing together all the time, and there's a special bridge added written by a friend of mine, so I thought I'd share that with you today. Spring coming 
I have one more song to share with you, and um, this song came into my mind when I was preparing for this weekend, and um, I wrote this song 10 years ago now, which is insane, 10 years ago this month, when a dear friend lost their daughter, and I know that the holidays can be a really difficult season for a lot of us, and so um, I just felt like God wanted me to share this song tonight. This song is called Still Hope.
Thank you so much. Everyone, you get you into the men's breakfast? <sighs> no, sadly. Surprising. Yeah. Hmm. You know the whole reason I'm doing this? Just, I want a great breakfast burrito. Hmm. What if this time I drew a beard? Hmm. Could work. That's not a beard, that's a goatee. Oh, my bad. Is that better? Yeah. Well, good luck to her. Men's breakfast, Saturday morning at 8 a.m. December 9th. Come see if I get in. Hey guys, our next kids Christmas rehearsal is December 17th at 1 p.m. Oh, hey, we need more help at the church. If you're interested in a part-time maintenance position, please apply in the church office. Sadly not again, but they have great breakfast burritos right here in the cafe. Hey, did you know that we have a church cafe? Be sure to check it out. You can even eat and watch the service at the same time. Wow, so cutting edge. Have you ever thought about working at the bookstore? Please apply this week. It's a great job. We also want to let you know if the Lord's leading you to give, you can give in the boxes at the back of the sanctuary, in the lobby, or online at our website. Let's go to prayer now and just take a few moments and quiet our hearts before the Lord, uh, before the Bible study. Let's pray. Lord, we quiet ourselves before you this evening. Thank you for your love and grace. Thank you that you called us out of darkness into the light. That you've given to us your spirit so that we might understand why we are here, where we're going, and who you are. We lift up Israel. You've told us to pray for the peace Jerusalem. So we pray that you would bring peace to Israel and Jerusalem. Thank you, Lord, that you know how to bring all these things to resolution. We look for your return. We look for your revival to sweep across our land, starting with us here in the packing house, Lord. Do your work. Have your way in each one of our lives so that your name might be known on the earth. Do that, Lord. We ask it in the name of Jesus and everyone agreed by saying, Amen. If you wouldn't mind standing with me, please. We're working our way through the Bible. We're in Acts chapter 10, this, excuse me, chapter 9 this morning, verse 10. This morning, this evening, other than that, it starts in verse 10, and it says, Now there was a certain disciple of Damascus called Ananias. 
And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas, one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying there. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him that he might receive his sight. Now Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many things about this man, how much harm he has done to the saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days among the disciples of Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who were called by the, this name in Jerusalem? And he has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the Messiah, and that you came to make a way for us to spend eternity with you. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the story of these two men and how you use them greatly. Have your way, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. And all of God's people agreed by saying, Amen. You may be seated, please. There's a change here that happens radically in the man that we've been following for the last few times. If you're just starting with this in the book of Acts, let me catch you up. So the book is about the church, the first Christian church in the world, actually, starting in Jerusalem. Jesus said, wait until the Holy Spirit came, which he did. And Peter preached a sermon, and 3,000 people got saved. And then, again, he did it a few days later, and another 2,000. So the church is 5,000 people. But Saul was watching this. Saul was a, a radical Jew, a rabbi. He had been trained by one of the most famous rabbis in Judaism. And he watched the church growing, and it upset him because he was sure that Jesus' name that Jesus himself wasn't real. So one of the elders of that church, Stephen, started preaching, and Saul conspired with the Sanhedrin, the great Supreme Court, to have him arrested. 
And this deacon of the church was brought into trial. He was found guilty of blasphemy because he just used the name of Jesus. And he was stoned to death. And Saul of Tarsus was one of those who was consenting in it. So we saw last time that Saul is heading out with papers from the high priest that were charging him with arresting Christians and bringing them back for trial in Jerusalem. And we left him last week heading on the road to Damascus, Syria, which is about 140 miles north of Jerusalem. And uh, he's on his way there and he's almost to the city when God suddenly stops him, knocks him down with a light, a light so bright that it blinded him. And uh, he is, we left him there as those who had brought him to Damascus took him in and put him in a house. So he's blind and he is praying where we break into this story. Saul was... um, the most notorious criminal against Jesus Christ ever recorded, many have said. Saul of Tarsus is the subject here. We want to look at his life pretty carefully because he has a radical change that comes over him. And after that, he gave us a third of the New Testament. The books of the Bible and the New Testament, a third of them were written by this man who had been this enemy of God And so we're going to see him radically changed. And uh, although this is a record of the conversion of Saul, we also see that God used a little-known man. He just appears out of nowhere in the Bible. And uh, he's not mentioned again except in this particular story. All we know is that he is a member of the church in Syria, Damascus, Syria. And God is going to speak to him uh, in in this story. Now, when Saul was knocked down, Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? after he was blinded, down on the ground. And Jesus said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. It's hard for you. You're kicking against what I'm trying to do. And he said, "Uh, Lord, what do you want me to do? And as we talked last time, those, those are two important questions that really every person in the earth has to answer. Who are you, Lord? Who is the Lord? from your perspective, and Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? Technically, that's called a creed. It comes from the word credo, uh, which are the words in Latin for I believe. And so I want you to be thinking about that as we go through this. What Saul believed is being radically changed. He believed that Jesus was not the Messiah, and now he's had an encounter with God and he's going to be changed. So he would say, I believe in Jesus. We used to do a song 
like that. I believe he is the Son of God. I believe he died and he rose again. I believe that he's paid for us all. Then it goes on to say, I believe that he's here now, standing in our midst with the power to heal us and the power to change us. And so what's your creed? What do you believe? Do you believe that? So Paul is uh, in Damascus, and uh, for three days he's been fasting and praying. And, of course, God did not save Saul to leave him in Damascus, and, uh, but he saved him for a great work. And God is planning to use him and uh, to change the world. And he grabs someone out of the church at Damascus that we don't know anything about. He just kind of comes onto the stage from nowhere. He's used greatly by God, and then he disappears again. And, and I think that's meant as an encouragement for all of us that a nobody was used by God to speak to Saul of Tarsus so that he might become Paul and write a third of the New Testament for us. God can use anyone, and he wants to use you. He was the servant of the Lord, but we saw he's just a little reluctant. God had to talk him into it. There's three parts of this section. Uh, verse 10 through 16, God calls, calls out to him, says Ananias, he calls him by name. And then 17 and 18, Ananias obeys, and he goes to a scary place. And then 19 through 22, we see this radical change in Saul as he is turned into Paul. So let's jump in and uh, work our way through it. There's a lot of little lessons tucked in here that impact your life and mine. Verse 10. There was a disciple. This is a certain disciple, an undescript disciple, a Christian, a believer, at Damascus, and his name is Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, and he calls him by name, notice, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. Dr. Luke is emphasizing that this man is a simple follower of Jesus, I believe. He evidently was not any kind of a leader in Damascus, at least it doesn't say anything about him being one. I believe he's probably just the disciple. And as I said, he comes and he disappears. His name, Ananias, in Hebrew, comes from the Hebrew word Hananiah. God has favored. God is gracious. God has given grace. This was the name of one of the three boys who had been arrested in the book of Daniel for not bowing down to the idol on the plain of Dura. And uh, his name was renamed. He was named Hananiah, but he was renamed Shadrach. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are those three guys in Daniel 1.6. God, God's grace protected them, and God's grace is going to protect this Ananias too. First thing to notice, I think, is that notice that Jesus knew him by name. Jesus knows your name. John 10.3. To him, the doorkeeper and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. 
I wonder what it will be like when Jesus calls my name, when he calls your name. I think it will reverberate in us and we'll just know that we know that we know that it's him. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice, Jesus said, and I know them and they follow me. So he knows Ananias' name and he knows your name. Secondly, he is a unsung hero of the New Testament. He appears at this defining moment, this crossroads in the church, this moment in history where the church is being birthed. And the man he prays for, that Ananias prays for, Saul, will become perhaps the most important character in the New Testament after Jesus Christ. So what an honor. I wonder who God might use after you have led them to the Lord, that you've said something that had an impact on their lives. It will be interesting to look back, won't it, in heaven? So Saul has this life, he has surrounded himself with radical Jews. He is a radical conservative Jews. But God has a man in Damascus, Syria. His background is described one other place, but it's about the same situation in Acts 22, verse 12. And uh, Paul is speaking to the crowd that was coming against him uh, in Jerusalem. Acts twenty-two twelve. Then a certain Ananias, he said, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there. Ananias is a man of God's word, a, a devout man according to the law, according to Scripture. And he was a man who wasn't afraid to witness for God. He had a testimony. It means witness or evidence. He was a man with an evidence of God's Spirit living in him. God wants to use the man or woman of God's Word. That's what we're doing here. We're studying His Word. And uh, with a witness. So, again, there's nothing here that indicates that Ananias was extra holy. Uh, he's just an available believer. God loves to use us to work out his plans for other people's lives as well as ours. God was ready to do something great on the earth, and he ends up doing it through this unknown man. Ananias was simply in the right place at the light, right time with the right attitude of heart. God, I, I want to be used by you. So Maybe that's the reason that God used Ananias. Because he was an ordinary man, an ordinary believer. That way, no one would later be tempted to say that Paul received the gospel from a man instead of from Jesus. Notice he had a vision. He received a vision from God and was called by name. But notice that the vision goes both ways. Both Ananias and Paul had visions. Jesus gave Ananias a vision that he could see Saul. And then he gave Saul a vision so that he could see Ananias. So when they came together, there would be no doubt 
that it was gone. Ananias answered the Lord with a great answer. Here I am, Lord. Literally, it reverses in Greek and says, I am here, Lord. Did God really misplace him? No. Uh, but Ananias had the correct response when the Lord called him, called him I, I'm right here. He's, Jesus speaks his name, and he responds. Many times in the scripture we see that. He's available, and he wants to be obedient. This would begin the adventure of a lifetime for him. God spoke, and Ananias listened. It always starts that way with a word from the Lord. Sometimes it comes like a moment like this, just in a Bible study. Sometimes it's over the radio, a Christian song, or sometimes it's an artist who's singing Christian words. Sometimes God speaks into your heart. It happened to Moses, you'll remember. God spoke to him from a burning bush. It, it happened to Samuel when God spoke to him as a young child in the temple. It happened to Jeremiah when he was called to be a prophet, when he was very young. God said, don't say you're so young. I'm going to use you. I will give you the words. To Joshua it came when he was called to command the children of Israel, the whole army. To Jonah, when he was called to go to Nineveh, he was a little reluctant too. He went the opposite direction. God said, I, I want you to go to Assyria, and he went to Spain. Exactly the wrong direction. Abraham, when he was called to be the father of the faithful, it happened to the disciples when they were called away from their fishing nets. It always, it is God who calls the person who listens. You have to be listening. The word came to him and he was changed. I got to love this setup. Do you see it? God says, I want you to go to a certain street, to a certain Jew's house, and find a certain blind man who has had a vision that a man named Ananias, that would be you, God said, is going to pray for him to be healed, and he would be healed. That's a God incidence. That's all set up by God. He couldn't mess it up. All he had to do was be available and go. Ananias is listed uh, as going to this here, the house of Judas. We don't know anything. We know even less about Judas than we know about Ananias. All we know is that's where Saul went. It was to his house. So he probably was a devout Jew and high-ranking in the Jewish synagogue in Damascus. But it's to his house that Saul goes. Now, if you would go to Damascus today, inside the little church that was started in Ananias' house is this little panel. And it shows Ananias praying for Saul and him receiving his sight. That's what the church looks like in Damascus today. It's still there in the house of Ananias. This is what it looks like from the street. You go through that door and turn to the right. And he was staying in this house 
at least according to traditions, this is the house of Judas. And uh, it's still on the street, the street down below where people are walking. It's called straight, <laughs> not very original, because it is a straight street that still runs through the center of Damascus east-west and several miles long. So the Lord said to him, Arise, verse 11, and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. So Saul is mentioned as being from the city of Tarsus. Tarsus is only mentioned five times in the whole Bible. It is a, uh, a city that's on the, the border of Syria, not far from Aleppo, that's been in the news. And uh, you can visit it. It's still a university town. It has a, it's the second largest university in the Middle East. Um, young Saul went to school there. And because it was a Roman colony, he no doubt learned Greek and Latin there because Latin was just coming into the Roman Empire in the first century. And because he was Jewish, he learned Hebrew and Aramaic, which was also popular in that part of the world. So he would have uh, been fluent in at least four languages, which is going to be helpful because God's going to send him all over the Roman world. So, for behold, he is praying. There's a contrast here. He's praying. The raging lion that was raging against the church is suddenly no longer P-R-E-Y, praying on, but he is praying to God. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that Saul is probably praying for the first time in his life. Because as a Jew, he would pray twice a day the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord God is one. First thing in the morning, last thing before he goes to sleep at night. Shema Israel, Akkad Adonai. But it's a rote prayer. It's not coming from his heart. And then there were 18 other Jewish prayers that everybody prayed at least once a day. I grew up in a church like that where we just repeated rote prayers all the time. And you could say them while you were doing anything because they just become so built in into your life. But that's not prayer. Prayer is conversation with God. That was such a weird thought to me when I first got saved at most of you know the story, 26. So I was late coming, was an atheist up until 26. And then to talk to God with my own words. Do you talk? I hope you do that. You talk to God with your own words. You just have a conversation with God. He wants us to have relationship with him. So Saul is experiencing that over this three days, I think, for the first time that he is not just praying prayers that he's learned as a kid, but he's now praying with new meaning. He's communing with God. And as he's doing that, verse 12, 
And in, in, in uh, a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias. So God gives Saul a vision of the disciple in Damascus that's going to come. He's seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. The Lord is preparing both Ananias and, and, and Saul so they wouldn't doubt about Jesus' personal dealings in this situation. But Ananias is a little reluctant when he finds out that it's Saul he's got to talk to. In verse 13, so Ananias answers, but Lord, <laughs> I have heard from many about this man, how much he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Maybe, I'll be kind, Maybe Ananias wanted to be sure that he had the right guy. Are, you're talking about Saul who has been persecuting Jews, right? Maybe Ananias, this sounds like a mission, kind of a mission impossible assignment, right? Walking straight into the hands of the chief priest's representative from Jerusalem to arrest people. God, has anyone told you what kind of guy Saul is? <laughs> and he's going to start giving God advice. Now, I'm sure none of you have ever done that. But I have. <laughs> Verse 14. He says, For here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Lord, Saul has authority. <laughs> I think this is hilarious. I didn't realize that, Anna. Wow, I'm asking you to do something that you're coming against authority. I think one of the angels must have whispered to another one and said, um, Ananias, you're trying to teach the creator of the universe about authority. <laughs> but he has authority, Lord. Oh, no. What shall we do? Verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go, one word, command, go. For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. God is very patient with Ananias, it seems to me. But finally, he just ends the conversation with a go. It's impossible to miss the call of God throughout the Bible. It, it just continually, he's calling people to go and do certain things at the right time. If it hasn't happened to you, know that it will. God will do that. I, I, I have never heard his voice physically, audibly in my ears, but I've heard him in my heart way too often. That's what I'm talking about. Go teach and encourage the nations. One of the essential defining characteristics of God's people is they go to people in need, no matter the, what the danger is, no matter what the cost. Let me say that again. One of the defining characteristics of a child of God is that they go to those in need no matter the danger, 
no matter the personal cost to them. That's a challenge I'm throwing out to you. He is a vessel, a vessel, literally it says a vessel of election. God has chosen him like he's chosen you to do certain things. You may be sitting here not knowing what it is. You may not know for another two or three or five years, but he will show you. You are a vessel selected by God. You are here because God wants you to hear this message, I believe. God is revealing to Ananias that his, he has a future purpose for Saul so that Ananias won't feel completely left out of the loop. It's really to bolster Ananias' courage, I believe. God sees the end. God sees you at the end right now. He looks at you and he doesn't see the things that aren't finished yet in you. He sees what you're going to be like when you get to heaven. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> That's the good news. What we will be, not what we currently are. And he's going to go to three different groups. He's going to bear the name of Jesus to Gentiles and to those who are kings. And we'll see that as we go through the book of Acts and Jews. He's going to be busy. He has a lot of people to talk to. Verse 16. For I will show him, Saul, God is saying to Ananias, I will show Saul how many things he must suffer hmm, for my name's sake. It's a prophecy. God is saying that Saul is going to suffer. I don't know where Ananias' heart is, but he probably said, well, after all the things he's done to your children, that's good, Lord. He should suffer a little. <laughs> Great, I'll go. It doesn't say that, I'm guessing, of course. But here's the goal. Here's his obedience, verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered the house of Judas, the one we just saw, assuming that's right, and saying, excuse me, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, notice what he calls him, brother. He already sees him as a child of God. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Ananias quietly does what he was told to do. He lays hands on him. He calls him a brother, and he tells him he's about ready to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, some expositors argue back and forth when Saul was saved, because he's on the road and he's knocked off his horse and he calls Jesus as Lord. Lord, who are you? What do you want me to do? And, and you can disagree with me, but my personal opinion is he is saved and he's being saved right up through this event that we're coming to. 
I don't think it's always an instantaneous. It, it was in my life. I can tell you the exact place, the exact time of the day, what day of the week it was. And I was radically changed in an instant. But I've talked to many people that it's taken more than just raising your hand, although that's a great start, or praying the sinner's prayer, or going to church, or trying to pray the first time, or reading the Bible for the first time. Sometimes God works through things. This is 72 hours later after he's knocked off his horse, and, uh, and he's going to have a second encounter with Jesus. When he laid his hands on him, that you might receive, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Saul was missing the, I, I talked about this, there's three Greek words for the Holy Spirit's interaction with us. He comes in us, and uh, he is with us when we're coming towards Jesus, and then he overflows us. Epi is the Greek word, upon us. So Saul is missing the last one. The Holy Spirit was already active in Saul's life. That's my argument. Convicting him of sin and convincing him of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But now he's empowered for service. He receives the Holy Spirit upon him. He's coming under the control of the Holy Spirit. The, the choice of this common disciple for the task made is clear that Saul of Tarsus was not dependent upon any of the 12 disciples, the apostles. He, he doesn't have contact with any of the apostles at this point. Oh, he will later beat them. My point is that he was saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered to go speak by just a person like you in, in the pew. So don't back away from praying for people. And immediately, there fell from his eyes something like scales. This is a very unusual Greek word. It only appears one other place in the Greek Old Testament, Leviticus 11, verse 9. And there it is used to describe scales on a fish. So that's why it says here, something like scales. He has had a... A, uh, a flash damage to his eyes. That's what it looks like when you get a flash damage from a nuclear blast in your eye. It completely opaques the lens on the outside. It also goes in and fries the rods and cones in the back of your eye. And uh, there's a where else can you go to church and learn about rods and cones in an eye, right? Okay, so all the little black dots are the cones. The rods are those things that are sticking up there. So the cones are um, very light sensitive, and the rods uh, are sensitive to the level of brightness but cannot see color. So... The cones were the ones that are giving him the color. So anyway, that piece that you saw in that picture, it, it's different than a cataract. A cataract is inside the eye. 
this was on the front lens, kind of like the windshield of your car. The windshield of his car got blasted with this light so intense that it turned it opaque. But when Ananias prays for him, two little scales, two little hard contact lenses, we could say, opaque ones, fell off. And he received his sight at once. He could see fine. So where was he baptized? That, that's a, a big question for theologians. They try and figure out where it, Well, he probably was baptized in the river. There are two rivers that run through Damascus. Uh, they're both beautiful. Um, this one is the Barza, and the other one is the Palmerpalm. And uh, they are uh, they're coming down from... Uh, the mountains of uh, Arat, and it's, it's just a very beautiful spot. It's, it's so war-torn right now, war-torn that it's hard to think of it as beautiful, but it really is. In Second Kings 5.12, it says, Are not Abana and Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? You might remember the story, it's in Second Kings um, when Elisha sent a messenger to Naaman, who was uh, filled with leprosy, and he wanted Naaman to heal him. And Naaman said, just go wash yourself in the Jordan River. And he said, the Jordan River? That's a dirty river. We got cleaner rivers up in Damascus. And they do. And so uh, the uh, river is probably that one that he was baptized in. It runs right through the center of Damascus. It's just a beautiful city because of that before the bombing. Um, verse 19, and when he had received food, he was strengthened. And Saul spent some days with the disciples in Damascus. Saul had been fasting for three days, so he, he needed the food. And uh, after eating, he felt a lot better. So have you ever wondered what Saul or Paul the apostle looked like? We don't have a scriptural description of him, but we do have one from a letter written in 160. Uh, and it, it, it's from a book called The Acts of Paul and Thecta. This is the description of Paul. He was a man of middling size, moderate height. His hair was scanty. His legs were a little crooked. His knees were projecting, it says. I'd say he had knobby knees. He had very large eyes, and his eyebrows met, unibrow. And his nose was somewhat long, after all, he was a Jew. And he was full of grace and mercy. I just love this last part. So this... Uh, old Coptic text is describing Paul as being a man of grace and mercy. And when you read his letters, you get that. It's all about God's mercy, not getting what we deserve. And it's very much about grace, having undeserved favor with God. But the last line is the one that gets me. Full of grace and mercy, at one time, he seems like a man, and at another, 
he seems like an angel. Okay. Uh, I think when he spoke, you knew he was walking with the Lord. Verse 20. Immediately he preached the Messiah in the synagogues, that Jesus was the Christ, and that he is the Son of God. Immediately he seems to have taken advantage of the synagogue where he was supposed to go and speak. He has letters from the high priest in Jerusalem, so they give him uh, access to speak at the service, and he uses Jesus as the subject matter, of course, because he's just discovered that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the only place that that phrase occurs in the book of Acts, in the, uh, in, in the book of Acts itself. So, true conversion brings true confession. In other words, when God gets a hold of your heart, you also come to grips with the reality that God came to earth and became a man and walked around the earth for, th for 32 or 33 years and did miracles that eyewitnesses wrote down, wrote about. So, as he's speaking, uh, he is confessing his relationship with God. Even Nicodemus, you'll remember in John chapter 3, uh, had to learn that. Um, and whoever therefore shall confess me before men, Jesus said, him I will confess before my Father, which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him I will also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. Now, this doesn't mean that we all have to be open-ear preachers or something. That's not what it's saying. We need to openly admit, though, that we serve Jesus, and we believe he is the Son of God. There's a lot of confusion in the world, even in, amongst churches about that. I get asked all the time. I, I got a, a card from a lady who uh, was thanking the church here because she and her husband had been Jehovah Witnesses for 60 years. And she said, and then they came to church here, and all of a sudden they began to see that all the things that they'd heard that Jesus wasn't God were going against the Scriptures. Because Jehovah's Witnesses print their own Bible, and it has words changed in it. So... Confess who he is to you. I believe. Your creed, I believe in Jesus. I believe he is the Son of God. Verse 21. And then all who heard were amazed that we're hearing Saul preaching now in the synagogues. And they said, wait a minute. Is this not the one who destroyed all those who were called by his name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? They must have known Saul was coming, um, like people <laughs> waiting for the hangman to come to Dodge City or something. But they're astounded because here he is, a zealous Jew by anyone's standards, preaching the same gospel that he had set out to stop. But Saul, verse 22, last verse, 
increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Messiah, is the Christ. He grew stronger spiritually and began to confound the Jewish rabbis that were coming against him. The Holy Spirit has come into his life and he speaks with conviction. So Saul had come to this low point in his life. God had broken him. He sat in a room, blind, helpless, and waiting for God. There's uh, much to be said for that in our lives. Before we were saved, all of us were blind and waiting on God, even though we didn't know we were waiting for him. God is looking for servants who will be obedient and go to those who are blind and waiting. Hudson Taylor said it this way. I used to ask God if he would come and help me. Then I asked if I could come and help him. Finally, I ended up by asking God to do his own work, but do it through me. <laughs> so um, don't ask God for his help. Ask him to come and do his own work through you. God used an available man, Ananias. Can God use you? That's the question. So, we often never know what our simple act of obedience might accomplish for the kingdom of God. Most of us have heard of the Christian writer John Bunyan. He wrote a little book called Pilgrim's Progress. And the only Christian book that has uh, the second most published book after the Bible in the history of the English language. So, but he came to salvation by hearing two women talking about their own relationship with God. And it so convicted him. He wasn't even in the conversation. He was just sitting near enough to hear their conversation. You never know when you might say something that will affect someone. Noah obeyed. The world was saved when Moses obeyed. The Israelites went free when Joshua obeyed. The promised land was conquered when David obeyed. When David obeyed, Goliath died. <laughs> when Gideon obeyed, the enemy was defeated. When Jesus obeyed, sin died and salvation became possible for any person on the planet. You never know what some small act of obedience on your or my part God will use to accomplish great things for his kingdom. Max Lucado, in his book, Six Hours, One Friday, 
tells the true story of a missionary in Brazil. Lucado was a missionary himself in Brazil for five years. But uh, he knows this missionary in Brazil who discovered a large tribe of Indians in a remote part of the jungle. And he writes this. They lived near a very large river. The tribe was in need of medical attention. A contagious disease was ravaging the members of the tribe. People were dying daily. A hospital really wasn't far away, but it was across the river. And the Indians would not cross it because they believed the river was inhabited by evil spirits. To enter its water would mean certain death, they believed. This missionary explained how he had crossed the river and was unarmed, but they were not impressed. He then told them and took them to the bank and showed them by placing his hand in the water. They still wouldn't go in the water to get across. So finally he walked in the water up to his waist and splashed water on his face. It didn't matter. They were still afraid to enter the river. So finally... He dove into the river, swam beneath the surface of the water until he emerged on the other side. He raised a triumphant fist in the air. He had entered the water and escaped. It was then that the Indians broke into a cheer and followed him across the river. Isn't that the way, isn't that what, excuse me, Jesus did? He entered the river of death and came out on the other side so that we might no longer fear death but find eternal life in him. How deep and wide is the river that you're afraid of crossing that's in front of you right now? How are you investing your life? Are you investing in something that will last for eternity? I pray that you are. Would you stand, please, and we'll pray together. Lord, we thank you that you love us, and you've come to earth to show your love, that you died on a cross so that we, all of us, could spend eternity with you if we would just surrender to you. Lord, I know that most of us in this room have done that. We're so thankful for you saving us. But we pray for anyone that might be here this evening who's not walking with you and ask that you give them favor, grace, so that they might surrender now. Christians, please pray. So we try and give an opportunity every time we meet for people who have not surrendered their life to God, that haven't asked him to forgive their sins. Maybe you're in that condition tonight. Maybe you're here for the first time, or maybe you've been here before, but you've never let him have control of your life. This moment is for you. We wouldn't do anything that would embarrass you. We're very careful about that. But if you'd like to know that your sins are forgiven, if you're ready to surrender and ask God to forgive your sins, will you let me know you're ready by looking up at me and raising your hand? I won't embarrass you. God bless you. Two of you. God bless you. And you, sir, yes. Anyone over here God is speaking to? Behind the sound booth, yes. The very back, God bless you. You, sir? Yes. Those of you that raised your hands, would you please pray with us? We'll do it with you to make it easier. We're going to pray out loud, ask God to forgive our sins, and he'll do it right where you're standing. So everybody, please say, 
Lord Jesus, I surrender. I give you my life. Please forgive my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can serve you from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Those of you, yeah. Those of you that raise your hands, we'd encourage you to go over these double doors to my right. Some of our elders are there. We'd love to give you Bible, pray for you. If you're sick and need prayer, go there. To the rest, God bless you. Give somebody a hug before you go home. Good night.